Isn't it awesome to see this many kids uh, going out to Children's Church on a Sunday morning? Would you just give God a praise for, for what He's doing in our midst and all of the little ones? Uh, it's, it's pretty awesome, pretty awesome. I heard a story about a not-so-bright young lady who called her boyfriend one night and says, please come over here and help me, I'm having trouble, I've got this killer jigsaw puzzle, and I, for the life of me, cannot figure out how to put it together. He says, well, what's it supposed to look like whenever it's finished? And she said, well, according to the picture on the box, it's supposed to be a tiger. And so the boyfriend goes over to help her out, and she lets him in and shows him where she's got the puzzle pieces all spread out all over the table. And he studies the pieces for a moment and looks at the box and then turns to her and says, first of all, no matter what we do, we're not going to be able to arrange these pieces in any kind of order that's going to resemble anything close to a tiger. And then he looks her dead in the eye and says, second, relax a little bit and I'll help you put the frosted flakes back in the box. That's bad, I know. But you know, there are some people that, you know, there are some people that, I don't know, they're just not thinking. You know what I'm talking about? Where their mind's just not quite there. People whose cornbread hasn't risen yet. You know what I'm talking about? Those, those kind of people. I know I've been that kind of people and, and, and at times. And, and for, for uh, our purposes today, I, I feel like sometimes we as Christians, our minds are just not... They're, they're just not in the right place sometimes. We don't think the right way. Sometimes we do things that are just so contradictory to what the Word of God might tell us to do. And so what I want to do today as we wrap up the second half of our two-part series called Mindset, what I want us to do is uh, look at what our lives are supposed to be like Monday through Saturday. Last week we talked about what our mindset ought to be whenever we come into this place on a, on a Sunday morning. And part of that is that, uh, you know, worship is all about Him. It has very little to do with us. Anything that we might get out of the worship service is just a byproduct of what we are giving to God. And so we should come into this place on a Sunday morning uh, with the mindset that we're giving everything that we can to God. It's called, as Rick Atchley said, a worship service, not a worship serve us. And so now we, atter- we turn our attention to the rest of the week. Say, okay, that sounds really, really good. If Sunday's all about Jesus, I get that. I'm with you on that, Ron. What, what is Monday through Saturday supposed to to look like? What is my mindset supposed to look like on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesday and, and so on and so forth? If Sunday is really all about God, then surely the rest of the week is at least mostly for us, right? You know the answer to that. Certainly not. Here's the deal. Just because the worship service is over here on a Sunday morning, that doesn't mean that our worship of Him is done. It's 24-7. Rick Warren put it this way, and I really love what he said about this. He said, worship is not a part of your life. It is your life. And I wonder what would happen if we developed the mindset that everything that we do, everything that we say, all of our activities, Monday through Saturday, we viewed as worship to God. If, If we viewed our loyalty, our relationship to God, and our worship to Him, um, If we viewed it that way, what would our lives look like? 
right? Because we expect a certain amount of loyalty from certain things in our lives, don't we? Things that maybe even we purchase. Let's just say you purchase a new car, and your new car only starts once out of every three tries. Is that reliable? How many of you are going to be real happy with that? Nobody, right? If your mail carrier skips Monday, Wednesday, and every once in a while Saturday, would you be making a phone call to the post office? You just say, oh, well, that's just the way he is. I'm good with that. If you don't go to work a couple times a week or, or three or four times a month, you skip out on work that many times, is your employer going to think you're a reliable employee and think, well, well, he just works most of the time? Or if your refrigerator stops working a couple times a week and say, oh, that's great, I've got a great refrigerator. No, we expect all of these different things from certain items in our lives. And so when God says, listen, I expect you to worship me, and not just on Sunday morning, but every single day of your life, why is it that we kick back on that? Why is it that we say, well, God, I give, you, I give you Sunday morning most Sundays, and that's even changed a lot as we look at uh, statistics lately that, that most people consider themselves a regular worship attender if they're in church one out of every four Sundays. That's the most recent numbers, taking a poll across the United States. Yeah, I'm a regular worship attender from there once out of every four Sundays. Sundays. And we expect this loyalty. We, we expect this reliability from all of these other areas of our lives. But yet when God says, I want you to, in view of everything I've done for you, in view of the mercy that I've poured out on you, I want you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. We kick back on that sometimes. Look at what Romans 12, 1 and 2 says. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. And this week, I want to put a little more on to what we talked about last week. Last week, we ended at verse 1. This week, verse 2 says this. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. And then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And so God is saying, Paul, God is saying through Paul, give yourself entirely to God because of what he's done for you. This is the way that you truly worship him. Don't act like the world acts, right? You, you, you give yourself completely to God and turn away from everything that the world is doing and, and follow the things that you know that God has clearly laid out in his word for you. In other words, you need a new mindset. We need a new mindset. I need a new mindset on how I am to approach life sometimes. If I'm approaching it for what I can get out of it again, if I'm approaching it because of what I think this person can do for me or what this activity might do for me, then I'm missing the point because our lives our very lives, our entire selves are to be worshipped to God. And we need to understand this. We need to adapt this mindset into our everyday lives. Offer your bodies, your entire selves. This is how you truly worship. And this tells me that's more than just Sunday morning, folks. It includes Sunday, but it includes every other day of the week as well. It includes Monday through Saturday. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says this, so whatever or so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Whatever you do, 
It can be worship. So this tells me, first of all, we need to develop a mindset that worship as a lifestyle is continual. It is ongoing. We can never get to the point in our lives where we say, well, I worshiped, and now I'm done for a little while. Or I worshiped today. I worshiped yesterday. Worship is an everyday thing. It's continually getting up in the morning and offering yourselves to God every single day. Here in our country, we are so good at compartmentalizing our lives, aren't we? You know, we've, we've got our work life, we've got our family life, we've got our recreation life, we've got our church life. And when we read this passage of Scripture from Romans, it seems to me as though Paul is saying, listen, everything that we do, our work, our family, our recreation, our church life, everything that we do, it can be worship. To God. It should all be worshiped to God. And Paul says, he says, I plead with you. He's urging us, he's inviting us to let God make a difference in your life. Because here's what happens sometimes. I've seen this. People have come to know the Lord, they've given their life to Him. Well, let me back up. Maybe they didn't come to know the Lord. Maybe they made a decision about Jesus that they believe in him, but they haven't really come to know him. They haven't investigated him enough to really get to know him because I believe if you get to know him, then your life is going to become a life of worship. But what happens sometimes is people, they, they make a decision for Jesus and then they, they go throughout their lives and there's really no big significant change in their lives. They just keep doing the same things they always did. They just now have the label of Christian. And I think that, that Paul is telling us, when you, when you really come to the conclusion that Jesus is who he said he is, and, and, and you start to dive into his word, and you commit yourself fully to him, he's going to make a change in you like nothing else can do. I believe if you do that, you're going to see an amazing difference in just how you approach every single thing. As the story goes, at the age of 23, John D. Rockefeller had become a millionaire. Uh, by the age of 50, he had become a billionaire. He was the only one in the world at the time. And he tailored every decision that he ever made, uh, his attitude, his relationship with other people. Everything that he did was all about how can I uh, make more money? What can I do to increase my bank account, increase my influence, okay? And so he, he became sick, and uh, his body was racked with pain, and he lost all the hair on his head, and he's just, you know, he's, he, he knows he, this is it, that, that he's, he's dying. In complete agony, the world's only billionaire, he could buy anything he wanted. But all he could do was drink milk and eat crackers. That was all, that's the only thing he could eat. Everything else just made him sick. An associate wrote this. He couldn't sleep. He would not smile. Nothing in life meant anything to him. Back to Kendall's point. If I gave you $10 million, I, I don't know, I wasn't really listening. I was distracted as John was talking about it. What were you saying there about, about $10 million? You couldn't wake up. Right? 
If you couldn't do that, and, and this was kind of like John D. Rockefeller was in this situation where he had all these millions of dollars, and he finally came to the conclusion, right, as death approached, he finally comes to the conclusion that the accumulation of things is not what it's all about. And as, as, as he sees his impending death, he remembered a dream that he had where it was kind of told to him in this dream that he can't take any of these successes with him into the next world. And so he called his attorneys, he called his accountants, he he called his managers, and he announced that he wanted to take all of his assets and he wanted to start channeling them to hospitals and into research and into mission work. And on that day, John D. Rockefeller established his foundation and his new life direction eventually led to the discovery of penicillin, uh, cures for the current strands of malaria at that particular time, tuberculosis and diphtheria. But the most amazing part of Rockefeller's story is this. The moment he began to give back, the moment that he began to stop thinking about himself and accumulating things, his attitude changed. All of a sudden, his life was full of joy. And the longer this went, this life of joy the healthier he got. His body's chemistry all of a sudden started to change and he got healthy and he lived to be 98 years old. All because he changed his attitude. All because he changed his focus. All because he came to the conclusion that his life was not about him. It was about others. It was about serving God. He was a Christian when he died. And Paul is making this plea, and I think if John D. Rockefeller could talk to us today, he would make this plea as well. He would say, in view of God's mercy, in view of everything that God has done for you. When you look at the Greek word used for mercy there, it's actually plural. And what he is saying here is all of the things, the multitudes of mercy that God has given to you because of this, we should offer ourselves to God, not just once. But repeatedly, because God is consistently and repeatedly merciful to us, we need to consistently and repeatedly offer ourselves to God as a living sacrifice. So everything that we do should be done to bring honor and glory to Him. Everything. If you're doing something and you don't know whether it does or not, I would suggest you don't do it because it's probably not right. That's my guess, right? Everything should be done to honor him and bring him glory. See, worship is not just a Sunday thing. Sunday is just a small piece of our worship, right? It's a time when we get together corporately. It's a time when we get together as the body of Christ for corporate worship. But everything you do in your life, Monday through Saturday, can be worship if it's done for the glory of God. And I have a theory that one of the reasons that some people get upset with Sunday morning, when things change on Sunday morning worship, you know, we've, down through the years it's been very well chronicled that sometimes in church people get a little irritated, amen, right? I mean, I know it's hard to believe, uh, but people sometimes when, when, when like, you know, maybe we, we don't like chairs. We like pews instead of chairs. Or maybe we like hymns instead of choruses or choruses instead of hymns or, or whatever. War, we want to choose. I have a theory that the reason that a lot of people get so upset when we make changes in a worship service is because this is the only worship you have. 
You're not worshiping him Monday through Saturday the way that God wants you to worship him Monday through Saturday. This is it. Sunday morning's it. And so when we mess with your Sunday morning, we are messing with your entire relationship with God because we're not doing anything Monday through Saturday. Man, I was hoping for at least one amen out of that. Well, at least nobody threw anything. I should be happy about that, right? We need to develop this lifestyle of worship because this, this, what we have here on Sunday morning, should be such a small, small piece of worship. But we put all of our eggs in this basket. And God is saying, no, I want more than that. I want all of you every single day. And I think the more that each of us live this spirit-filled, worship-filled lifestyle, the less upset we're going to get when something doesn't really go our way. Just a theory of mine, but I don't think I'm too far off. So our mindset of worship is that it's continual, it's ongoing. And we also see that worship is a, as a lifestyle it means surrender. Paul says that there's three ways we need to fully surrender our, ourselves to God. In view of the many mercies of God, to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Now, when you look at the Old Testament, and we look at what happened in the worship in the Old Testament, it was all about sacrifice, right? The instructions that, that God gave Moses, were, it, it was elaborate detail on how to sacrifice animals. And so a sinner would bring an unblemished animal to the priest and the sinner would lay their hands on the animal that was about to be sacrificed and they would say, this, this animal is taking my place. And then the priest would kill the animal and sprinkle its blood on the altar. And God says to us, I want you to present your bodies in that way. Not that we're going to be killed, but we are dying to ourselves, right? And we're living for God, and God is saying, I want you to present yourselves in that way. I want you to present your body as a living sacrifice, not just a part of your life, all of your life, completely committed to Him. And Paul continues by saying that our life's offering should be holy and it should be pleasing to God. I want you to think about the things in your life right now that you know aren't pleasing to God and get rid of them. Give God our best. A lot of times we give him our leftovers, don't we? We go out and we do whatever we want to do again Monday through Saturday, and if I feel like it, then I'll give you my leftovers on Sunday morning. God is saying... Listen, guys, if you really love me, in view of everything that I've done for you, do it this way. Give me your best every single day. This is your spiritual act of worship. There was a Swiss evangelist who had preached at a church, and there was a young lady named Charlotte Elliott who was there. And the evangelist said, are you at peace with God? And the question stuck in Charlotte Elliott's mind. And she saw the evangelist a few weeks later. And she mentioned that she couldn't shake this question. Are you at peace with God? He replied, you need only to commit yourself to him. And then you'll have peace with God. And that day, she committed her life to Jesus. She repented of her sins. She was baptized into him. 
About 12 years later, 1835, she was crippled by illness. She was constantly fatigued. She was saddened by her inability to work in the church. And she looked back at her conversion to Christ. And she took out a pen and paper and wrote a poem to encourage encourage other people who felt that they didn't have anything to give. And she wrote these words. Just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. That's how we come to God, just as we are. And just give everything to him. And a lot of people think, hey, I got to get my life straightened up first. I got to get this in order. I got to quit doing this. I got to start doing this. And Jesus is saying, just come as you are. We'll take care of those details later. Come as you are and present yourself to me as a living sacrifice. And then see the amazing change that he's going to make in your life. Romans 12 verse 1 calls for a decisive commitment to surrender ourselves to him. Verse 2 tells us how we can maintain that commitment by renewing our mind and not following the pattern of the world. Selfishness is the world's way, right? Like John D. Rockefeller, whatever's good, whatever I can get out of it, that's the world's way. And Jesus is saying, no, our way, God's way, Jesus' way is to be selfless. And the tense of this verb indicates that we must stop conforming. we got to stop conforming. In other words, Paul is saying, you are conforming, so you need to stop it. And we all do, don't we? In, in one way or another, we conform to the pattern of this world. And Paul is saying a lifestyle of worship is to stop acting like the world. That's one way that you can worship him. Quit it. If we're... If we're serious about surrendering our lives fully to Christ, then we're going to stop conforming to those things that are around us, that even that has crept into the church, that even a lot of Christians say, well, that's really okay to do that. Instead, we need to focus on the Word of God. We need to focus on the Holy Spirit, and we need to allow Him to transform us into Christ-likeness. And the word conformed here, another Greek word, we get our English word metamorphosis from. And the idea of this is what happens when a caterpillar becomes a butterfly, right? For, for a time, it's one thing, and then it becomes another. And really, a caterpillar, I don't know very many people that, like, uh, love caterpillars, right? Do we, ha- do we have caterpillar, like, farms and gardens and all that kind of stuff? No, but we have butterfly ones, don't we? No? I mean, only, only little dirty boys like caterpillars and playing in the dirt with them, right? But, but most everybody, you know, we look, wow, look at, the, look at the butterfly, right? Caterpillar just crawls around, plays in the dirt. Butterfly has big, beautiful wings and flies all over the place. And notice the last part of verse 2. When we live our lives this way, this, this is a kick. This is what ought to get us excited because I know everybody in this room at one time or another said, boy, I just wish I knew what God's will was in this. Last part of verse 2, when you live your life this way, in other words, presenting your body to God as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to Him, then you will learn to know God's will for your life. 
You're not going to know God's will for your life until you surrender your life to him. Isn't it incredible that God allows us to test us in this and approve what his will is? for? He says to do that. See, God's not going to force us into anything. He, he doesn't dominate our will. He allows us to choose what we want to do, but he hopes that we will conform to what he wants us to do. This is the mindset that we need to have, and it will also prevent us from thinking too highly of ourselves. So we commit ourselves to Christ, right? Then we're going to know the will of God. And then when we know the will of God and we're committed to Christ, we're going to stop thinking about ourselves. We're going, to be, we're going to prevent ourselves from thinking too highly of ourselves. Look at verse 3. Because of the privilege and authority God has given me. And think about who's writing this. This is Paul, right? If anybody probably during that day and age had a reason to boast and, and, and really talk about how wonderful he was, it was probably Paul, right? But he says, because of the privilege and authority God has given me, I give each of you this warning. Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Thinking more highly of ourselves than we should is one of the greatest problems in serving God. Roman culture was all about ego, and I don't think our culture is too different. No. It's absolutely exhausting to be around someone who's always boasting about their accomplishments. Don't you think? Is anybody with me on that? You know? You know, people who are like a 10-watt bulb and they're trying to outshine their relatives in Las Vegas. You know what I'm talking about? There's a story of a man who's driving around 465 in Indianapolis during rush hour traffic. One time he received a call from his wife on the cell phone. She said, honey, you need to be careful coming home. There's an idiot that's driving the wrong way around 465. And the man responded, oh, honey, it's not just one idiot. There's hundreds of them. <laughs> you know people like that? It's always someone else's fault. It can't be them. They've done all of these wonderful things. People get so wrapped up in their own wants, their own desires, their own ways of doing things. They think so highly of themselves. They don't realize that maybe, just maybe, they're the problem. Never forget this truth. God uses us because he wants to. There's nothing we've done to deserve it. There's nothing that we've done that can cause God to love us more. That says, uh, you know, uh, I'm going to use you now because you've, you know, done this or whatever. Everything we are, everything we have is by the grace of God. There's not a single thing we can do to earn it. And this is a truth that we need to repeat over and over and over again. And somewhere along the line, we need to develop a mindset that some, uh, you know, somehow we need to get this behind us, you know. Down through the years, I feel like there's a few people that think they deserve what they have in Jesus. There's not a one of us that do. And the sooner we realize that we are recipients of something that none of us deserve, the sooner we're going to start to look at worship as um, something that we're privileged to do, that we're honored to do, that we are blessed to just have the opportunity to do it. And we'll do it with our whole lives when we start to approach it that way. And we'll start to serve others when we approach it that way. 
And when we start to do that, we'll see God's will more clearly for our lives. And as the old-time preachers used to say, I must decrease so that he can increase. And there might be some of us in the room today that we need to decrease ourselves a little bit. Some of you might need to decrease yourself to the point of making a decision for Christ. I'm going to ask the worship team to come, and, and maybe you're here today and you've, you've never made that decision. For whatever reason, you've never confessed Jesus, you've never repented of your sins, you've never been baptized into Him. We want to give you the chance to do that this morning. Um, maybe you're here today and, and you've just, and you've already made that decision, but down through the years, you've just, it's just been more about you than anything else. I encourage you to repent of that today. And maybe just make a conscious decision. Make a commitment to God that you're going to do better. You're going to start putting Him first. You're going to worship Him Monday through Saturday all the time in every single thing that you do. I think you'll see an amazing difference in your life if you start to approach it that way. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. Another decision you might want to make today is to become a part of our church family. I've been really encouraged this first quarter of, of 2023 by all the people that God has sent our way. We were figuring up the other day, we have more new members in our church in this first quarter than we had all of last year. And, and that's exciting. And God is to be praised for that. And maybe that's you today. Maybe you're just standing out there you're thinking, man, I, I just really want to belong. I want to become a part of it. Maybe today's your day. Uh, maybe you just need prayer. We'd come to the front. We'll be glad to, to pray with you. Whatever need you might have, let's, let's pray together.